made indefinitely. And you have been listening to the news on RTHK. It's the 25th anniversary of Hong Kong's return to the motherland. And the Hong Kong Special Administrative Region is celebrating its 25th year. This special occasion is for every Hong Kong citizen. A wide range of events are being held to celebrate the anniversary with the public. Join in the celebrations and share the joy. Together we shall move forward to a brighter future. Visit hksar25.gov.hk for celebration event details. Good morning and welcome to The Week on 3. I'm Christy Lai. It has been a while since I've been with you here on Radio 3. Hope you're having a great start to the weekend. I have a full jam-packed lineup for you today, so sit tight and let's jump right into it. If you're a fan of cooking and do enjoy a bit of a challenge, why not try something new with a bit of a kick? On Wednesday's Morning Brew, Maestro Chef Neil Tone showed Phil Whelan how to cook lamb kofta from his balcony in Singapore. In case you don't know what lamb kofta is, it's basically grilled lamb kebabs. He filmed the whole process and my mouth just watered a little bit by just looking at the pictures. I've got a bunch of mince, okay? That's probably about a kilo, maybe a little bit less of mince, yeah? Yep. Actually, it's more like, yeah, no, it's about a kilo, it's about a kilo. Okay, cool. And then I've got a, a whole onion here. It was a medium-sized onion, and I've diced that nice and fine. Yep. And uh, that's going to go into the bowl. Oh, you're making a... And then I'm... Yeah, go on. Yeah, I'm going to make those shish kebabby things. Koftas. I think they're called shish Koftas, I think, and the ones yeah. with cumin and ginger and stuff. And well, they're wonderful. yeah, so I'm actually... I've got a, that, a little bit of that... Um, that Thai basil, because I've got no mint, and I thought... Well, Join us on Facebook Live if you want to watch what he's doing. It kind of is worth it. Morning yeah. Brew is that page. So I'm just chopping. I'm just finally chopping the uh, the, the Thai basil. Yep. Um, my, hopefully I'll get a little bit of a cal- caterpillar in there for extra protein. Yeah. Nasty. <laughs> Nasty. <laughs> okay. okay, and so that goes, in, that goes into the bowl there. And then you mentioned cumin. Oh. I, if that's what you're making, I guess. No, absolutely. I'm a big fan of uh, big fan of cumin. Can you see me there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can hear you. Okay, I'm a big fan of cumin. Yep. And so... Could you try again? Oh, okay. Big fan of cumin. So I've got... going to take... Uh, I'll, try and, I'll try and do some measurements. So, shush, be quiet, please. <laughs> is that, okay, me? Is so, that me? Is that my voice no, coming was, back five minutes it, later? It was, <laughs> No, it was my phone. It was my phone. It was like that stupid Siri thing going on. Okay. Right. right. So I got a nice little scoop of cumin. Yep. That's a heap tablespoon. I'm going to put another, I'm going to put a little bit more in. Oh, you you know what? It's the right amount. Okay. And then I got this like meat masala, which you can get from any sort of Indian, Indian sort of grocery store. I'm assuming with more time, you'd make your own masala, right? Well, you, yeah, you could be, but I mean, a lot of these are like really, really, really tasty. This one's also got a, you know, it's got some chili, turmeric, cumin, cinnamon. So, you know, I would err on the side of consistency. And a lot of these Indian places do them so well. Indeed. So consistent. And then you can add a little chili. So you can add some of your, you know, I like to add more cumin because I really like cumin. 
Um, and then um, I'm cheating a bit here by getting some of this garlic and ginger paste. Why not? Cheat away. It's 20, no. it's 20 past 11 now. I'm going to do more time checks than I ever do. <laughs> no worries. Go for it. I'll be super I'll be super quick after this. So basically, I'm just going to take a little bit of the chilli and garlic paste. Yes. Take a, take a couple of tablespoons of that. With Chef Neil Tomes doing his thing live from Singapore. A couple of tablespoons of that. Okay, that's in there. And then I'm going to get all mucky with my hands now. This is the mucky bit. Can I ask you a question whilst you're doing this, Neil? Yeah, no worries. Um, so I'm just squeezing this all together, yeah? I found out that if you go too nuts on the hand squeezing of mints, it just turns into, like, rubber. It turns into play yeah, well, Play-Doh, right? It, it gets mushy. I think the science behind it is when um, the, pr the protein starts to uncurl. But you need the grain in there, don't you? You need the lumpy bumpies. They start, yeah. They start to link back up together. So, ah. yeah, you want to, you want to, you want to not overwork it. Got it. Like people, the the the, the Chinese use that to their advantage with like oh, the beef balls and all that. Sure, yeah? it's really tight. It's, it's, it's almost you want to throw it against the wall. Yeah. So they do it and they beat the hell out of it. So the proteins actually sort of create a sort of like well bound paste. Okay. So that's it. That was just what. That wasn't even a minute now. No, you're doing brilliantly. This so is I've got be, that in there. This is going to be so And nice. I forgot to mention that I add, actually did add salt. Uh, yeah, okay. how, how, how much? That's always, we never know. Well, how you to, know, yeah. I, I always go for about 1% to 2% of the whole weight of the... Um, so, you know, that, that would be like 10, you know, 5 to 10 grams, I think. So don't be scared, you're saying. Yeah, all right. Yeah, so what would that be like? So, so yeah, it'd be like, yeah, five, I'd say 0.5% to 1% right. of the mass of it, depending on how salty you want it, you know? I mean, obviously, we know it adds to the flavour as well, so I guess. Yeah, and also that salt actually does help to, um, it does help to, um, what's the word? It helps to um, un, uh, unbind those, um, it helps to... to glue the proteins together yeah so basically bear that in mind okay right i'm going to take my skewer you see my skewer yep. okay and then i'll do one of these real quick so that we can uh beef cough not gonna run today. he's just I'm about gonna to just, skewer i'm it. actually gonna skewer that and then and then i'm gonna squeeze it a little bit tighter on the actual rod yeah this is a hard bit actually because very often it falls off <laughs> that's why i've squeezed it uh, uh, skewered it on and now i'm going to Squeeze it like that, yeah? Okay. So basically, so basically, I'm just going to give my hands a quick wipe, and then we're going to take this out. You with me here? Yeah, totally. Tell us what you've got. Tell us what you're carrying out there. Great big, great I'm big metal out, skewer. Lovely big lamb uh, garlic onion skewer. Let's see if that'll hang on there. You can see that, yeah? Yes. That worked out really nicely. And then I'm just going to sit that in there. It's in the tandoor. Oh, you can see that, yeah? Okay. I can't really tell much about the temperature from here. So what are we what are we talking about? Well, we're talking about three hundred degrees there, and then I'm going to put the lid on. Wow, that's up there. <clears throat> and then, so while that's doing that, I want to I want to basically turn that a couple of times, obviously to get the whole the whole thing done. Yeah. Yes. Um, but while we are waiting for that to do it's going to wash hey what's the magic number here i always say that on a barbecue these things seem to go great after about five minutes each side but what's yours yeah i'm guessing that that's going to take about six minutes to cook maybe eight and that was maestro chef neil tones on wednesday's morning brew if you're searching for new music to listen to 
our next guest might be able to introduce some to you. On Thursday's 123 show, Noreen Mir spoke to UK-based dark pop singer-songwriter Jason Kwan, who very recently performed at the Glastonbury Festival. Jason was born and raised in Hong Kong, but moved to London when he was 14 years old. He shared with Noreen how he navigated a new culture, but also at the same time embracing his Hong Kong identity. It was very different, but yeah, so I left Hong Kong when I was 14 to study in the UK and I went to the UK on a music scholarship and I started training more professionally music then. Um, but it was such a culture shift as well, leaving Hong Kong. You know, I am a born and raised Hong Kong person and I absolutely adore Hong Kong. I still call it my home, Hong Kong. Um, but it was kind of interesting because like, you know, I you know, grew up obviously speaking Cantonese and English, but I really wanted to make English language music. And I think going to the UK um, made real sense for me. Yeah, absolutely. And also you identify as a queer artist. What does that mean to you? And how is that uh, reflected in your music and, and your, your, your creative process? I think for me, um, my music is all about being quite authentic to who I am and not shying away from any part of my identity. So, you know, I'm a queer non-binary Hong Konger, um, and for me, it's about being proud of who I am and being able to represent experiences that aren't often heard within mainstream music, um, within any music really. And, you know, coming to the UK, I was really able to explore that side of myself. And I really put my queerness and my Hong Kongness at the forefront of what I do um, because I want to represent, um, you know, my stories in a way that is really positive and empowering. That's so empowering to hear. And also, it's such a winning combo. Uh, well, let's talk about the, the Hong Kongness, the Asianness as well. Is that sort of underrepresented uh, in the UK, for example? I think so. You know, people talk about, you know, East Asian communities as being quite invisible in the UK. Um, and to me, that is just um, not true at all. I think we just sometimes um, are not given enough platforms or haven't, you know, fought for wider representation and now we're starting to see a bigger emergence of queer talent um hong kong talent as well in the uk which is quite exciting like you know um artist Irina sawayama who has you know japanese roots uh, who is queer is making huge waves in the uk and internationally and it's just really amazing to see other queer asian artists doing really well um internationally and in the uk yeah, typically, I mean, when, when you when, when you start uh, create the, the creative process and then to, to finishing your, your song, how easy or how difficult is it to promote it? I mean, it's so unique to have that East Asian-ness and, and the queerness. I, I suppose it should be really popular because, you know, that there's very little supply, <laughs> so to speak. Um, I think it's, I think when people do kind of um, hear my music, they do quite enjoy the energy that I bring. Um, I'm very much a storyteller. I like to share my experiences of how things are. And, you know, I call my music dark pop. And what that really means is, you know, it's still dark, uh, sorry, it's still pop music, it's dance music, but there's a darkness to it. And that comes from like the subject matters, you know, the topics. I like to talk about things that are, you know, difficult. I talk about struggles, but I like to um, bring in an element of empowerment and how we can use those experiences that we've had and kind of make us stronger from it. Yeah. What sorts of struggles do you address in your music then? I think, you know, representation is a big one. Um, you know, Ritual, for example, um, talks about me coming over to the UK and realizing that there is the culture shift. Um, 
you know, and the lyrics, I talk about being fetishized, I talk about being objectified, something that we can really relate to as Asian people and as queer people. And for me, it's about reclaiming that narrative and reclaiming my power and not letting myself be seen in those lights and being able to form this ritual to make sure that I'll never be seen like that again. So I really wanted to do it through a dance track. You know, the song is super fun to listen to, but at the same time, you know, I am honing in on some really important issues. Yeah, and and the music videos you do are just so powerful. It's a performance within itself. When will the when will the music video for Rituals come out? So the ritual music video uh, will be coming out in the next two weeks. So keep Exciting. your eyes peeled. But yeah, I mean, with my other music videos, I you know I started in Hong Kong um, at Hong Kong Children's Choir, and you know I started doing show choir quite early. Um, you know, I train in musical theater and opera. And so I really bring in a lot of those elements um, of like dramatic performance into my music now. I was going to say, it's so theatrical to watch. Uh, how supportive are your friends and your family of what you're doing right now? Oh, they're super supportive. They're always, uh, it's really funny. They're always like, I don't know how you're doing all of this as a, you know, a queer Hong Konger in the UK who knows no one, who doesn't have the resources that, you know, other people do. But I think I just kind of make it work. Um, you know, I'm very good at finding my community and I have a really beautiful um, Asian community here in the UK as well that support me. So it's been really nice to, you know, have both sides um, kind of be really supportive. And I did manage to go back to Hong Kong um, to perform for the first time in 2019. And it was amazing. You know, I brought um, a show back and I played two of the queer clubs out in Hong Kong. And it was just nice to like share my music and my journey with the people I grew up with, my friends, my family, my family friends. And it was just kind of amazing. That is so amazing. What do you have to tell them right now? Here's, here's your chance. If they're tuning into Hong Kong Din Tai Tai Sam Tai, what do you want to tell them, Jason? I just want to say and to listen to ritual. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, without further ado, let's have a listen. And uh, guys, don't go anywhere. Stay with us on Facebook Live. I, I was uh, talking to, to, to Jason about the copyright issue. I'm worried because Facebook often <laughs> pauses the, the, the video yeah, afterwards. But, um, you know, this is, this is Jason Kwan, the original artist of Rituals. Let's have a listen to your latest single. Perception caught an amber fever buzz When you objectify me, shame won't hurt me Scared to put my future on the line Can't make me a fetish for you to desire Thought it was real emotion, but it was all for you songwriter Jason Kwan with his newest single, Rituals. If you would like to check out more of Jason's work, go follow him on Instagram at Jason Kwan Music. Ever thought of learning an instrument, but never really fell through with it? Maybe I should have stuck with the piano when I was a kid, because apparently learning an instrument when young can help with thinking skills when you grow older. Learning how to read notes, hand and eye coordination can definitely stimulate the brain. Telling us more about it is Dr. Janet Shao. 
head and associate professor at the University of Hong Kong's Department of Psychology. Yeah, so um, this is a study published in Psychological Science, which is a very high-profile um, journal in psychology field. And I think there's something very special about this study is that uh, it's a longitudinal study that basically follow these participants from year when they are um, only 11 years old until and then try to measure again later on when they turn 70 years old. So this kind of data is really uh, very precious. And I think in general, the top it's very interesting and then you know the, the issue about whether music training or um, musical instrument um, training will facilitate cognitive abilities this is a, a topic that um, very practical lots of people want to know and 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 a lot of studies lots of people trying to understand it but typically these kind of studies are difficult to do because because um, if you just compare across groups and then there are a lot of factors you need to compare and then it's better to be able to follow someone just to see uh, how how music training would change uh, this person's cognitive ability over time. So that's why this is um, a very the data is very precious, and then that's why it was able to be published in a very high-profile journal. Yeah. So yeah, I learned the piano um, when I was five, and I played throughout my teenage years, and I cannot play a thing right now. Now, my lack of talent, do I benefit in any way if I start an instrument early? Uh, I think the benefit is not really about, you know, whether you are talented in it or not. The benefit is really from the practice itself. And musical instrument training, I think uh, it, it is good because think about it, when you are playing an instrument, it involves lots of cognitive, lots of cognitive processes um, are happening at the same time. For example, uh, you need to be able to recognize uh, the musical notation. You need to think about, you need to plan how you're going to play it. You need to organize and sequence the sound and your hand movement. And uh, and then also it involves working memory. You need to somehow remember, kind of anticipate what you're going to play. And also your uh, eye hand coordination. So lots of things going on at the same time. And then it really uh, requires you to engage in a lot of what we call executive functions, such as uh, being able to be very concentrated, what we call executive executive attention, and you need to have ability to sequence information, monitoring what you are doing, be aware of what you're doing, and so on. And this, and I think it's just a very complicated cognitive task that allows you to really try to coordinate lots of things, lots of cognitive processes so, at the same time. So Dr. Xiao, would you say it's also similar to, uh, for example, playing mahjong? <laughs> yes, yeah, I think, it, yeah, I actually also would like to, um, yeah, that's a very good point, because I was going to say that musical training, music, or music instrument training, it's not the only way. I think mahjong is also a good exercise, because you really need to, yeah, recognize the symbols, and then plan, do a lot of planning and problem solving, so it's also a good brain exercise, yeah. Um. What is it? What does music actually do physiologically to the brain of a de developing child? You know, in a child, the brain is making lots of neurological connections. Um, what does it actually do to the brain when you when you learn a musical instrument? Yeah, so you, if you try to think about how you learn to play music, it's actually very similar to, for example, how you learn language. Uh, so the, in research, 
in cognitive research, uh, there are a lot of similarities between music, um, learning music and learning language because you need to learn the sounds and you need to find the regularity in the sounds. You need to be able to recognize it and, and then learn to how to sequence them and how to produce them. And, uh, and then there's a lot of um, like learning the regularity and the structure of music. So that's why for a long time, uh, Basically, it has been shown that because of the similarities between music, learning music and learning language. So for children who learn music, they seem to have, they seem to, um, have a lot of uh, benefits in, in terms of language learning as well. How young do they have to start? Well, in terms of learning, it's always, um, you know, the earlier the better because the brain, especially in uh, early um, early age, the brain is developing very fast. So, yeah, I think, you know, as soon as, yeah, the earlier the better, I would say. So before parents rush into forcing their young children to learn a musical instrument, Dr. Xiao, what should they consider? I think they should reconsider, you know, learning should be fun. Um, cause I, I have three kids and I think it's very important to motivate them to learn better than force them to do it. And also another thing to, yeah, kind of just experience sharing is, um, you know, they don't have to be number one in everything. And all these learning experiences just uh, to provide opportunities for them to develop their cognitive abilities, to learn new things. Um, and then so then they will excel in the things they like to do. So, yeah, that will be my opinion. I don't think you need to force children to learn music. And then, but you should offer this op- option to them. And if you like to do it, then they do it. And then, then they will be beneficial to their cognitive development. What about the type of music? I mean, uh, would you say, I mean, are there studies that show that classical music, for example, Mozart is uh, more effective than uh, pop or rock? Uh, I, think it, um, I think it depends on a person's preference. Um, so there are studies um, trying to examine, for example, if you, it is like, you know, classic music would just be good for everyone or actually it's better that, uh, so first of all, I think the first question is whether, because there are studies trying to see whether, you know, when you study, whether it's, it, actually it will be helpful if you listen to music and uh, whether the type of music matters. Um, and then in general, I think there are some findings suggesting that, um, you know, people do differ in their preference on music, and uh, certain music may work better for some people, but may not work for other people. Dr. Janet Chow, Head and Associate Professor at the University of Hong Kong's Department of Psychology, on Thursday's Back Chat with Janice Wong and Jenny Lam. And finally, to end today's Week on 3, we once again have our very good friend Steve James, who is taking us back in time to the 1970s. Take care and have a great weekend. I'll catch you next week here on The Week on 3. I'm Christy Lai. The factories may be roaring with the boom a lack a zoom a lack a wee. 
But there isn't any roar when the clock strikes four. Oh. Everything stops for tea. Scadoobity-D. Oh, a lawyer in the courtroom. Ah, yes. In the middle of an alimony plea. Alimony plea. Has to stop and help him pour when the clock strikes four. War. Everything stops for tea. This day, 1970, Edwin Starr started a three-week, a three-week one at number one on the US singles chart with this. Celebrating the music of Edwin Starr. A three-week... I still can't say it. A three-week run at number one on the US singles chart with War. And his only number one and number three in the UK. But wait, there's more.
make a man go stone. 